This is not radio. This is the Mission Control Podcast. Hello, episode number 48. It's been a while. I've been in Melbourne, um, just hanging out for my sister's birthday. Not very interesting, but um, I'm here with Matthew Tomich. Shalom. Hello. Hello. Um, now, I've never really sat down and talked to you before, so this is going to be pretty cool. I think I may have met you, like, because you know my brother, I think I may have met you actually when I was like 13, a long really? time ago. Yeah, I, I seem to remember, I seem to remember you. Right. And how old, how long ago was that, do you think? This, this would have been, so I'm 24 now, this would have been like a good 10 years ago. Wow. Okay. You're a baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little little kid. <laughs> That's weird when people in their early 20s, like I consider now, to be really young. Like yeah. that's, that's young for me now. I'm only 29, so I haven't really hit the, the next tier. I'm even noticing that now. Like when I see people who are like 20, I think you're, you're a fucking kid. I have nothing, I have nothing in common with I know, you. yeah. Not that I'm like that much more, not that I've achieved anything in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's weird how you start noticing that distinction. Yeah. You ever like uh, drive through a school zone and look at the high school kids? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really creepy. Um, but it's like, I don't remember being that small. But when you're yeah. in high school, it's like you, you don't think, you can't really perceive outside of, of, yeah. of how big you are. My thing always is like, but I've, I've worked with people who were born in like the mid 90s, so like 1995. But I think when you start, my reference point is The Simpsons. Like when you start talking to people who like, you, you start working on the same level as people and, and like The Simpsons is like a thing from a previous generation. I think that's going to be quite unsettling for me. Yeah. The yep. way, like, when people when people start seeing The Simpsons, the way we, like I might see something like The Flintstones, or like Alf, that's that's. <laughs> I don't think those are all comparable examples. <laughs> Alf, but, I uh, fucking remember Alf. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. He used to kind of creep me out. He had that like weird, like a snout, right? Yeah, kind of like a I don't know, like an anteater or something. Yeah. What was he? Was he an uh, alien? I think he was just an alien. Just a random alien. Yeah. Right. But a very, very distinct looking alien. <laughs> Jeez. And I remember that dinosaur one. Do you remember that one? Where there were just people in dinosaur suits and there was a baby dinosaur. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I know what you mean, though. Just the fact that references that you find funny. Yeah, like your cultural touchstones. How, exactly. how over the course of five years they can change. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, I, I love Seinfeld and stuff like that. Yeah. For some people, that's really old. And, pr- and pretty soon, like, the first, the first decade of the 21st century will be, like, like, there'll be BuzzFeed quizzes about that, just like there are about, like, like this if you're a 90s kid, you know? Yeah, that, that's, exactly. like, been the, the shtick for the last couple of years. Mm. Definitely. Um, so what do you do? You, you write for Life is Noise? Yep, I, I write and edit Life is Noise. Um, I, wrote, I write for Express now as well. Um, mm-hmm. I've done some stuff for the music. I, I've just been freelancing uh, for the last like two and a half years. I used to edit Spaceship News, which is currently like in a transition phase, and I'm not, mm-hmm. not really having too much to do with its future, because that's Perth-based, and I'm piecing out of Perth soon. Um, right. But yeah, just, just hustling. Mm. So what, what made you... I guess it's quite a generic question, but what made you like 
seek places other than Perth. You you just came back from New York. Yep. Um, was that work related or was it just kind of just hanging no, it out? Was, it was just scenery. It was just leisure, and then it was going to be work, and then it just became leisure again. Uh, I, I, I've. <sighs> This goes back to the culture thing. Like I've never felt very Australian, mm-hmm. so I've always I've always like been mentally very American, I and mean, I've always been more in touch with American culture than my native culture. Uh, native's probably not the right word to use there. Yeah, um, Australian <laughs> culture at least. Um, and so I, I went. I studied in the states for half a year and. Uh, the first half of 2012 and then came back uh, in like August 2012 and with, within a week was like trying to figure out how to get back there yeah um, so I, yeah I, I guess I kind of buy into that whole thing a lot of people do about, about wanting to get to Perth or, or, or finding Perth s- not stifling but but needing a sea change at least yeah it's it's quite restricted and so I, I, I went to the I went to North America again in uh October last year um, with a view to traveling around a lot more I wanted to especially check out Vancouver and see if I wanted to maybe live there in the future but then my plans changed and I got a place in New York and I stayed there and I was trying to get a job there because it's actually really easy for Australians to get work in the US it's like the, the visa process is super streamlined right but that didn't quite pan out and so now I'm back here and I might try that again in the US um, but yeah I've been back for a couple of weeks and I'm sticking around for another three months or so until I make the the uh, obligatory move to Melbourne, <laughs> and then the obligatory move back a year later. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so many people do that, but that that visa thing is a bitch, right? It's the, it's the US visa, not, not for thing. Australians actually. Um, no? uh, well, I should have. I, I could have been much smarter about it. There's this thing where if within a year of graduating from like a university or a TAFE program, if you, you, an Australian can qualify for what's called a J1 visa, which allows you to work in the US for a year, and if you find a job and they want to keep you you can apply for what's called an e3 visa which costs you 200 dollars. you have to fill out like two forms and it's renewable indefinitely in the last two years um and so i met there are so many australians in new york like if, you, if you're walking yeah. around for an hour in new york you will hear at least five ten australian accents and i met heaps of australians through um some australian friends of mine who are already there but uh yeah it's this, this is a visa that was actually brokered as a part of australia's participation in the war on terror right so like the the various Australians living the high life in New York are doing it in a roundabout way on the backs of uh, some uh, less than stellar foreign policy. <laughs> yeah, a rather uh, aggressive foreign yeah. policy. The coalition, I think they called it. <laughs> and, and, so, and so for like for almost every other country, bar, bar Canada and Mexico, it's probably easiest for Australians to work in the US than anywhere else. Right, yeah. When I went to LA, they, they said that was sort of the same thing like a lot of the staff on the film sets were australian really yeah a lot of the makeup a lot of the the like the um what do you call it the gaffers and all that yeah. stuff there's a lot of australians that are probably using that visa that you yeah, talked exactly. about you know they're, they're not there forever but they're there for a good year to work and try and find their feet at least but they can they can keep going for like it, it's such an easy process to do hmm. um i i met plenty of people working in all kinds of industries who are just going to keep doing that indefinitely and as long as as long as you're skilled and people hire you when you have good mm. networks and you're, you're employed, gonna be fine. Yeah. and yeah. I, I guess in the film industry as well it's so limiting in australia even on the east coast there's so little available that you, you kind of have to go to the uk yeah or the us to to actually make some significant progress yeah, because they actually have an industry there. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, and it's like self-sustaining. It is, yeah. I mean, there, there were so many people in LA that were just working check to check. Like, they would be an extra for something, and then they, you know, use that check for, like, a couple of weeks' rent, 
yeah find something else and just repeat and they, they just lived for years just off that just freelance work yeah uh, apparently that's more of a trend I was talking to a guy in New York who's from Perth he runs a record label called Earache Records which is like an extreme metal label and he said like that that's how a lot of the people in the music industry that he knows work now it's, it's permanent freelance or permalance yeah and like they've outsourced so much of their stuff they like they don't have an in-house publicist they just have like a publicist that they rely on who's like their, their main guy hmm. but they don't have enough work to employ him full time yeah um, but yeah the whole the whole the, 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 the liquid economy I guess is becoming especially in the arts and media is becoming much more the norm mm. yeah do you think it's uh, this is a pretty broad question what do you think of the nature of just the creative industry in general now especially with the shift in technology do you think uh, we're on shaky ground or do you think this is a good thing do you think it's actually sparking some sort of innovation for people to try new things I mean, I, at one level, I'm too young to have a meaningful reference point because, mm-hmm. like, I've only been really paying attention for about six years. Yeah. But on the other hand, I can still sort of see differences. Uh, I, I, I guess, I guess, I mean, this kind of thing wouldn't have been possible. For, uh, how old is podcasting now? But about ten years ago, this kind of thing wouldn't be a viable avenue. Yeah. Um. So on, on one hand, while there's a lot more, I mean, I mean it's it, this isn't anything new that I'm saying, but like, while there's a lot more cre- creativity and a lot more options and a lot more ways of, uh producing material and getting it out to an audience uh, there's a lot less money for everyone except for the very very top yeah it's spreading quite thin now yeah and just just to break into an industry just because of the internship culture especially in the u.s to break into an industry is is so much it seems like it's so much harder than it it ever has been yeah um partly because there are probably so many more people who are like uh trying who who are going to university and who are like studying in those industries and so and but the industries haven't expanded enough to actually be able to employ them yeah um so there are more people vying for less and Mm. a lot of those people in order to try and get their foot in the door are going to make themselves more exploitable as labor yeah which is why you have such a huge internship culture i know i know a few people in the u.s a friend of mine who interned for like a year half a year at snl and half a year at jimmy fallon and um still can't find any kind of music film tv industry work there right uh and that's i mean there are plenty of people who can but like it's it's so much i feel like nepotism is is like so much more significant a part of your success than it ever has been mm-hmm. i mean the whole you know it's, it's not what you know it's who you know thing and that that's that that's not an that's not an old phrase but i feel like it applies more now than ever and it's probably not going to change anytime soon yeah yeah there there are definitely Circles and gatekeepers, obviously, people that want certain people. Um, but definitely, I think. Do you think internships? What do you think of internships? Have they ever? Have you ever done one, and has it actually led to anything? Yeah, um, I mean, most of the stuff I've done is in Perth, so like, there's a limit to what's available. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the stuff I'm doing for life is now started off as an internship, like in in. September 2013, Dave Dave Cutbush, who runs Life Is Noise, just posted something saying they were looking for interns, and mm. I started working there one day a week, just like writing copy and doing research and doing some basic general admin stuff. Um, and then I started selling merch for them as well, and then I started editing the website, um, and got some I got some work through Wham for them as well, doing some stage managing. So I guess I mean. It, it it, it depends it's in perth i feel like there aren't enough very large 
industries or, or organizations like where you can actually ascend very high to, to make to, to for me to be able to make that kind of judgment mm-hmm. but I, don't, I mean they're not going away anytime soon because yeah. people will, will always be willing to do to, to work for free if, if they can afford to people will work for free in order to 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 get somewhere else yeah yeah, yeah the promise of a job mm-hmm. yeah yeah I've, I've volunteered quite a bit for RTR and WAM here and there and it's good because I think what's priceless is, is meeting people and sharing ideas yeah. and that's what's going to probably be of more benefit than the actual work that you're doing yeah. is you're actually seeing how things work you're picking people's brain you're seeing how things are structured and stuff like that and that's kind of what you can get from an internship and it, it's cool sometimes I mean I have did a bit of work for Express as well but it what I really took from that was just the the mechanics of how the the office works and yeah. how certain people are delegated to delegated to certain things and stuff like that. And that that for me was what I really learned from there. So you, you're working for Express now, like doing I'm, 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 yeah, I'm just I'm just doing interviews. And, interviews. And now that I'm back in Perth, hopefully more reviews, some live stuff. I just cool. did interview for 65 Days of Static, and I did uh, I interviewed Leith um, Tierney for Farugi, this that that music service that he mm-hmm. was involved with a yeah. couple of months ago. And then uh, Chris Clark as well, and a few others. Yeah, yeah. I think Farugi's a really good idea. I think um, one of my friends, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, I interviewed him as well. Especially. Yeah, yeah. That's really. It's a really cool idea, and I think um, it's amazing seeing that groups of people can start shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can actually, if you have the right group of people, you can actually do something that could affect some change or. or um, you know, kind of revolutionise. Although what what they're doing is isn't I wouldn't say it's revolutionising, but it's um, definitely keeping the artists in mind. Which yeah, absolutely. You know, companies like Spotify are really really shafting people. But I only just installed Spotify like three three days ago um, for the first time. Do you do you use Spotify? Uh, I I I think I, I have an account, but I haven't actually ever used it. Yeah, I, um, I use. Bandcamp mostly, but I just noticed in the past couple of weeks, I've been streaming a couple of albums from Bandcamp a lot, and they've now instituted instituted this thing where I think it's to do with like the the cash cash. I always pronounce that wrong, mm-hmm. but like if if you start streaming something enough times, they'll like just start putting like a pop up will come up and they'll say, okay, it's time to put some money forward. Yeah, and then if you say no, they'll just stop letting you stream the album. Right. Okay. I, th- I think Bandcamp's Bandcamp's the most efficient and and the best service for all of that. And I also just I prefer the idea of owning my music um, rather yep. than having it accessible. Yep. Because I mean, I, I also have only had a smartphone for like a year, so if I wanted to list, I still use my iPod if I'm if I'm on the move. Um, what were you using before that? Uh, like a really shitty Nokia 3120 or something. Right. I deliberately avoided getting a smartphone just because I knew that I would be prone to using it and checking it all the time. And like yeah. the, all, the, all the addictive qualities that the smartphones have. And like mm. within about two months, that was absolutely... Like I, I, I'm really bad with it now. Do you... When you go to bed, do you kind of sit with your phone for a while? Uh, I used to. Um Especially when I was having trouble sleeping, I've been sleeping pretty well with the, what with the jet lag, or, or been yeah, I've been falling asleep pretty easily because my body's still wrecked. <laughs> um, but yeah, for a while that was my norm. Like I would just play Tetris or word games on my phone for ages. Yeah, and that didn't help at all. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's I, I I'm really bad with the whole like needing stimulation all the time and like not knowing when to shut off or how to shut off my brain. Yeah, definitely. I've. I have this weird addiction now where I have to be looking at some sort of a screen. Yeah. Like, at, at some stage of the day. And if I don't, I feel kind of weird. Isn't that, isn't that shit? 
Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, I, I basically fall asleep with my phone in my hand and when I go to bed. But I've been reading this thing about, you know, looking at computer monitors and how it affects the circadian rhythm of the body. Yeah. Because apparently when you look at a screen, it's like telling your body that it's daytime. Yeah. So you can, by the time you, you know, rack up four to eight hours on the computer and then you go to bed or you try to go to bed, it's like your body still thinks it's You already imbalanced your cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So it fucks with your your melatonin and all that stuff. Um, And it's not surprising because I I don't think the, the human body was supposed to sit and just stare at the screen like all day. I think yeah. that's gonna be. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's any. Well, there's RSI. There's there's a couple of things that you can get from overuse of computers. But I think way down the track we're gonna figure out that it's fucking with our brains somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, just not in the way of sleep, but maybe even psychologically, like the that reptilian part of the brain. You know, the, the reactions and stuff with light. Yeah. Who absolutely. knows what weird shit it's doing to our brains? <laughs> I'm even skeptical of like Wi-Fi, like EMF fields and stuff like that being too close to to certain signals. Like, may, who knows if that's like actually affecting our bodies somehow remember uh, this this is back when I was like 10 or 11 but when mobile phones were first reaching more popular use like long before what we have now there was that paranoia that that they would cause brain cancer Mm -hmm. Um, which is not something you hear about like that that a whole idea sounds as passe as Y2K sounds now yeah Um, I find it weird that that just kind of went away yeah do you know what I mean like I don't think it was anything was quite settled but that's just me being a paranoid weirdo but like Maybe that's because you've been on the computer so long that <laughs> you're buying into all of this. <laughs> exactly. But, like, uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical when it, whenever, I don't know, like a publication or whatever just says, like, well, the research has been done. It's it's safe. Yeah. And I'm like, really? I wonder if it will take a few generations for our brains to actually manifest, like, the real negative effects of, well, not necessarily negative, but, like, the, the adaptive Adaptative, whichever one it is, effects of uh, excessive computer use. Because I yeah. mean, I, like, obviously, I know there've been plenty of t- studies done that have shown like the, the the dopamine hit that your brain gets when like you get an alert on social media. Yeah. Um, but I feel like uh, you know once once those things have been around for uh, two or three generations, um, the I, I wonder I wonder how significant the changes will be in like. I don't know, 40, yeah. 50 years time. Whether it's posi- positive or negative, just whatever I imagine, changes. I imagine mostly negative. <laughs> mostly negative, definitely. I think, well, I play a lot of video games. Um, yeah, I, was, I, was, I clocked up like five, no, not five, but like three hours of video games before I came here today. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, pl- I religiously play video games and sometimes I like to get high and play video games. Right. <laughs> but I, I, the thing is when you get high, you start overanalyzing things feelings and thoughts and stuff like that but i felt when i was playing borderlands (laughs) like i could feel my heart rate racing and that fight or flight kicking in during certain moments when you're playing games and it just got me thinking like is it really healthy to have that firing all the time in your brain that oh shit get down get down take cover and all that stuff like is that what is it really doing to our brains when we play this because i love video games and i'll defend it till i die but like i also think of that other side to it like what is it stimulating in that brain when we're on we're basically under stress all the time when you play it so it's like is that kind of good for our 
and you're right it's the dopamine levels that that that's kind of what makes you feel good that reward system um in your brain and i think video games really psychologically tap into that reward system where you're like all oh, right i I pass this bit, all right, next yeah. bit, and then you put yourself under more stress, and it gets incrementally worse throughout the game. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if I wonder if for our generation or people who play a lot of video games, if like there is a measurable response that's less for the way you respond to to film and TV. Mm. If like the intensity and the immersion of video games has has sensitized you to that level of uh, I don't know psychological response or stimulated response to the extent that like when you're watching. When you're just watching film and like you you you're you know say say when you're when you're scared like we're watching a horror film or something mm-hmm. if there if your body's almost expecting something more intense and so you respond in a lesser way mm. so it's kind of like a a numbing of yeah maybe yeah yeah definitely yeah who knows it's i th- I find like getting more and more apathetic towards real world shit like more so than watching something. Yeah. Like if I see something horrendous in front of me, like sometimes I'm shocked at how how quick I just block it out. Yeah. Like, all right, that's that's not happening. Yeah. Like, put your headphones on and just keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like I don't know. I think we're gonna increasingly we're we're developing these bubbles around us. You know, just ways to shut off from from what's actually happening around us. And I think even like in terms of information and stuff we can create those bubbles now through the internet you know you you kind of see what you want to see you don't see what you disagree with you know yeah like, well yeah like how most people who have their will have friends lists full of people they agree with hmm. by like the odd crazy uncle yeah um and so it becomes kind of an echo chamber of your own political values and, and ideals yeah and you just keep reinforcing yeah that and you don't challenge it at all yeah that's kind of scary which means that when you do encounter people from opposing viewpoints like you're you're so you're so sensitized to having people agreeing with you that you almost like you respond more violently or more vitriolically mm. to that kind of negativity. Yeah, you overreact more and you take yeah. it way more personal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, I see a lot of posts on Facebook nowadays like if you believe in this, defriend me now and stuff like that <laughs> like or if you're one of those people that fucking do this, then do yourself a favor and unfriend me and stuff yeah, like that. So fucking dumb. And it's like uh, I I can see where you're coming from, but what kind of world are you creating when you don't address people that... Because I see people that are, you know, inclined a certain way. If you disagree with them, well, it's almost like an opportunity for both of you to grow mm. and learn to kind of not compromise, but empathize and, and see things from other point of views. Yeah. And I feel that when you just block that person, like, you've missed an opportunity to learn something and vice versa like yeah. maybe they're growing at a different rate than you you know and then maybe they haven't come to that conclusion that you've come to but maybe all they need is time and kind of acceptance for what they think I don't know unless you hate Jews or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess there is a line for everyone <laughs> uh, they're not that bad yeah, <laughs> yeah. so how is, how is New York because I've I've always wanted to go to New York um, my sisters have been there a few times and they say that if I go there I would never leave and I kind of believe them so <laughs> I've been kind of putting that off for a while I mean I do like LA but I definitely agree with what you said like it, the American culture felt strangely familiar when yeah. I touched down like I kind of feel more I don't know 
if it was, I don't know, just me overthinking it, but I, I kind of felt more accepted and at home in the US, which is weird, right? Yeah, it, it's a weird space of, of both familiarity and, and foreignness, mm. I guess. Because like, I like when I saw the LAPD cop cars driving around, I'm like, ah. Right, I've played, played San Andreas, I know this. <laughs> exactly, like everything felt strangely familiar. Yeah. Um, I guess it's pro- probably because of the stranglehold of pop culture that America has, you know, the Hollywood stuff. But yeah. um, I definitely felt more of a connection to even, like, the rural areas. Um, and, like, we drove through Death Valley and stuff. And just even the scenery and seeing all the Joshua trees and stuff like that, even that felt more familiar than Australia. I don't know why. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't really engage with our... Uh, natural surroundings as much, or at least it's not, they're not as celebrated. I, I know, I know, I don't, I don't really like the idea. There, there's no majesty for me in the Australian landscape, in, mm. in just like arid deserts. I mean, it's not yeah. all that obviously, um, but I, I definitely do see the appeal. Like if, if I if I had to choose between uh, crossing the Nullarbor and and driving through like Nevada and and Utah and and the Rocky Mountains and all that area, uh, I definitely choose the latter of those mm. two options. Yeah, I think there's a lot more variety with the american landscape it's definitely like the elevations are insane like yeah. you can go through mountains and stuff and then be on then be like three thousand feet below the sea yeah. like some of the dips and stuff in uh, death valley were insane it's like it didn't look real it looked like it was painted yeah. on or something <laughs> yeah, living in perth i'm always like if i go to a foreign place all that it takes to impress me is like some hills or a mountain yeah that, that's that's so novel to me because perth is just so flat it's so topographically uninteresting and yeah you, you, then you have the hills i guess but i mean unless you live there or you know someone there you're not really going to be going to that region very much yeah um but like when i was in scotland like there's just there's a volcanic there's a, an inactive volcano just like right there you can see it from your window um or in like when I was in upstate New York, like everything is just hills and valleys. It's so, it just it's it's interesting. Like the way you, you're you're programmed to, to certain norms and expectations to like make. And like in my case, I'm just really impressed by oh a dip, oh we're driving downhill now. It's yeah. exciting. I like this place. My ears are popping. Yeah, <laughs> what a novel idea. Yeah, yeah, that was one thing. Just the scenery was just amazing in in the US, and I, I like. Probably because I've romanticized it through media, but I like yeah. I like seeing the diners in the middle of nowhere, yeah, serving that like shitty black coffee, like what Denny's or, or like, like independent like Denny's, yeah. yeah. Well, that's more of a chain, but like you know, independent kind of diners on the side of the road, yeah, right. And I just I watch a lot of Twin Peaks and shit, so yeah. I, li- I like that landscape. I like the maple trees and stuff like that. Yeah, everything just looks. Did you go up to the region, like the like the Pacific Northwest? So, no, no, okay, no, no. Only only around California, and that was my first time. Yeah, um, drove to San Francisco and stuff like that. Um, I just had to try out the uh, Chinese food in San Fran. How was it, it? It was great. Yeah, the Chinese community in San Fran is massive. It's like you wouldn't think you were in the Chinatown. There is was so so huge. Um, but I was just amazed at the uh, the landscape, like basically driving almost vertical up, yeah, right. up the streets, and it was just so hilly, and everything was just jam packed into this one island. Yeah, and um, coming into it, like seeing it from the other side of the bridge, it was just covered in this weird smog and clouds, and it just felt completely surreal. Yeah, 
<laughs> I've never been to the West Coast, but did you notice that about the air quality? Like, was there? Did you notice the layer of pollution yes, in the sky? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have really bad skin. Like, I've got eczema. So the one thing I know the environment's bad is when I start flaring up and stuff. Oh, okay, right. And I flared up instantly in in LA. Really? Because we, sure. we were staying basically in uh, like Hollywood near Sunset. Yeah. And you know, we we'd walk up to the observatory and look down, and you could see like a layer of smog fuck like and then you could see like um like it just never ended it just kept going yeah i've never seen it was just like a smoky building filled like mess yeah sprawling like a grid just endless grids of houses and buildings it was bizarre. How strange I, would it be if you grew up there and, like, un- until you were, I don't know, age 10 or something, that was your norm? Like, you didn't know what normal air looked like, what normal yeah. sky looked like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. That was something that I found weird about in New York. Like, I, I uh, my, my girlfriend was looking after um, this this 10-year-old kid there. And, um, like, this, 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 this girl was born in new york like lived all their life in new york it's it's such a warped way to grow up seeing the world Mm. to to like have have just to see i don't know the extremities of poverty i guess and excess in 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 one place and to like not really know what natural space looks like Mm. or what uh non-polluted water looks like yeah to have to have that standard of living kind of normalized yeah and you don't know anything else that's bizarre yeah that's bizarre and i don't know like I don't know if humans were designed to be packed into, like, concrete jungles. Maybe it's fucking us up somehow. (laughs) I've always thought about that. I think... I even think, like, your feet need to touch, like, soil and grass every now and again. Yeah. To, like, ground you. And apparently that's what helps jet lag a lot. Walking um, on, like, natural ground. uh, Walking barefoot on either sand or, like, some natural surface apparently grounds you i don't know if that's a load of hippie bullshit though <laughs> how does it ground you though what is... i don't know i don't know i think it, it resets the clock somehow if your oh, feet okay. touch earth but that sounds to me like some hippie bullshit so yeah <laughs> interesting uh i i didn't try that but yeah how have you been sleeping you been all right uh it was it was pretty fucked like i was i was hoping to go to that that I got back on, what, 13 days ago. I was hoping to go to that Perth music venue meeting thing at the bakery. And then yeah. I fell asleep at, like, midday that day. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go and see Mogwai the next day. I fell asleep at 4 p.m. Then I fell asleep at 8 p.m. Then I fell asleep at, like, 1 a.m. It's it's still pretty it's still pretty wacky. It takes a while. Because I, I was in... Um, before I came, came back here, I was in New York for a week and a half. And then before that, I was in Scotland for two weeks. So, mm-hmm. like... As soon as I adjusted to one time zone, I got thrust into another. So I've been I've been out of whack for a good month and a half now, a good month at least. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it takes takes a while. It's amazing how much a plane journey saps all your fucking energy, even though you're just sitting there. Yeah, it, it's so draining. And I, I I hate the air as well. Like the air is always dry for me on planes. Yeah. Um and. Yeah, don't, don't look at yourself in the bathroom mirror when you're in a <laughs> You look like you look, a prune. Yeah. I, I literally look like a shriveled up prune. The, the lighting's terrible and like your skin's peeling. And yeah. Like I suddenly have way more nose hairs than I thought I did. Yeah. It's not pretty. I know. And you, you yeah, you just got to like fucking get the fuck out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. I, I've got a phobia of, not a phobia, but like, I dislike white light for some reason. Do you know like white fluorescent kitchen lights? Yeah. 
like or at like the when you go to the doctor or the dentist yeah that okay. hot white light yeah i fucking hate that for some reason yeah i work in a hospital so i, I experience oh, really? that white light a lot <laughs> yeah 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 there's something about it's like because it flickers right there's like a refresh rate to the actual light yeah and that's I why think... busted lights they just flicker slower than they should yeah, I think I've, I've seen. I've sometimes I've seen like uh, like really high frame like FPS like like I don't know what the peak is, but when you're watching footage that's shot in a really high FPS, you can see in certain lights you can see like the flickering effect. Mm. Fuck, that's creepy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's fast. It's it's flashing so quick that you don't obviously see it. Exactly. It, yeah. It's, it, when you slow it down, it's actually yeah. just going like a strobe yeah. in your fucking eye and then the flip side is uh, I don't know if you've seen the band A Place to Bury Strangers I, I saw them when they were here a couple of years ago and then mm. I saw them in New York just before I left but they have like, like there's a point where like strobing light effects are so fast that you're like the, the it's the tiniest fraction of a second when the light is off so like you're witnessing it, it's this really bizarre like real time but also like 12 frames per second kind of feel mm-hmm. like when I don't it's like I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, but it's fucking. If 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 you, if you have a, if you have a strobe light and you like turn it on to its its maximum speed, it'll yeah. be it, it's really trippy the way like you you think you're seeing things in real time, but then you're missing out half of the motion and your brain yeah, like really struggling right. to adjust to that. So it's just enough to fuck with you. Yeah, like, but then you're also like, you're also you know you're missing like a tiny bit of motion. Yeah, so everything looks basically like surreal. Like it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like half a frame too yeah. that has been taken out. It's great for a live show, though. Yeah, <laughs> you should you should start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel bad, like because we, we like to push the strobe in um in our shows, but we just feel feel bad sometimes. We're like, fuck. What if it's you don't want to have people turn away because it's too much yeah. as well. No, I, I remember Tangled Thoughts are leaving used to use this really annoying strobe by, back like five or more years ago. Yeah. And like it didn't, I, I, I don't know why, it didn't add anything to the show. Like they're a great band, but it was so distracting and I yeah. would have to just like look down yeah. for like half a song, which in their case is like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're a great band. I love them. I can't believe how um, long it's been. I, I remember since 2004 2000, no 2005-2006 yeah I think that's because the, the front because the, the keyboardist Ron, Ron Pollard's only like a year older than me so he's what 25 yeah. and they've been going since he was like 15 I remember I saw them at first I think they played with Fear of Comedy at a show at HQ in like late yeah. 2006 or something like that right um, back in like their semi-hardcore days but yeah it's nuts to, nuts to think that they've been going around for 10 years yeah but they they've got a good a solid following and they just announced a european tour as well yeah and that, i i love the i love seeing perth bands go abroad and yeah and just nail it like my friends in in voyager um and they go to the us a lot and yeah. europe and it's really cool i feel i i i feel like a dad like a proud dad for some reason yeah <laughs> but yeah just seeing people that just haven't given up haven't compromised anything just stuck to it yeah, there's something about that that I really respect. You know, the fact that they, ten years on, can still have that much enthusiasm. Yeah, it's it's weird how even if like someone like me, I don't, I don't feel patriotic. I don't have like any sense of I don't have great sense of pride about being from Perth. But when I when I was uh, when I first went to the US, I traveled with Pond and Doctopus on the road on the East Coast for a week. Nice. Um, and like I I got that sense of pride because I've known Steve from Doctopus since high school for like about 10 years now cool. and, and and like to see them like uh 
just win over an audience who who didn't know them at all. Yeah, you know, five nights in a row in in, in towns that never heard of them. Um, that was a really I don't know reaffirming experience. I guess somehow, mm. not that I had anything to do with it. Like I I was just a dude who was there. Um, but it was really fun to watch. Yeah, sure. I th- I find it inspirational. Like that's the most plain word I can use for it. But it's like uh, seeing how you can pretty much take your art anywhere in the world and find a market for it or, or find people that appreciate it. I think that's really empowering and yeah. really kind of validating when you're overseas and you, you, you are appreciated like that. Yeah. Of I course, think that's the, really... The, the hard step is actually getting the money to go and do that. Exactly, yeah. Very few people end up doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how much you have to... You basically lose money on every single tour. Yeah. Like, unless... I'm interested in seeing where that breaking point is where, okay, that's that's the tipping point. That's when you start making money because every single tour I've been on is basically you're paying to play um, in a way. Not exactly, you know, paying to play the show, but you've, you've got expenses yeah. that you have to take care of and they far outweigh what you're getting back. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing where that tipping point is. But um, I guess it's just all in developing a following where you can secure payers early. I think that's where the tipping point is. Yeah, I mean, start really managing your funds and stuff. In in America, like uh, you can do it easily. Even if you're not a huge band, you can you can just get in a van and drive, and you can drive four hours and and be in another town. You can play a show to a totally different audience here. Um, And like American shows, you know, someone like I think Pond were charging like fifteen twenty bucks. Uh, a ticket for a show and they weren't like they weren't getting huge audiences they were getting decent audiences but not like huge turnouts but when you can play that huge volume of shows like you make less per show but you're playing enough shows that you can actually maybe break even or turn a profit yeah whereas I mean maybe on the east coast you can kind of do that if you're a big enough band if you're like you know someone like the Smith Street band but at least in Perth like you, you can you can go and play uh, Prince of Wales and Bunbury and and, and Settlers Tavern and Margaret River yeah. and then like oh and then just do your obligatory like Perth and Fremantle shows mm-hmm. um, and that's the it's, it's, yeah yeah story. it's a really really low ceiling yeah and and to get anywhere interstate is like you there's no question you you have to buy a plane ticket you can't just hop in a van and yeah drive a couple of towns over yeah um, which is what I like about the US it, it's just so dense like I yeah. haven't felt that density before. Like just people fucking everywhere, and a small town is is still fucking huge. Yeah, a small town is a couple not, of million yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's 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 something that I always found strange. Is like if you're not if you're not if you're in WA but you're not in Perth, you're in somewhere that's like that feels absolutely tiny, somewhere like Bunbury or Albany or something. Mm-hmm. But then a, a place with an equitable population with like two hundred thousand people or a hundred thousand people in the US, that's still like a decent town. It's not going to be. It's not like comparable to a to a city like Perth probably, but you can still find work you can still find things to do mm-hmm. you can still find your people and and if you can't then you can drive two hours and be in another town of the same size yeah yeah you can actually you can literally skip town if you fucked over a certain amount of people exactly yeah. <laughs> you <Yeah. can't. laughs> and, and and like people are from like how many, how many people do you meet in perth that are from like somewhere other than perth like there'll be people from from you know rural wa but like when i was at when I was studying Ithaca College in upstate New York for a semester, people were from everywhere. They're from like the smallest of towns, from farm towns, from mm. places with like a hundred people. Some of them are from New York City. Um, it's like you. I didn't realize this until only a few years ago, like how truly insular Perth is. Mm. You have to go somewhere 
where you have to go somewhere not isolated to actually appreciate how isolated we are. Yeah. I know that's kind of an old shtick of Perth, so isolated. Yeah. But it really, it really does affect your thinking, I think. It does. I think even politically and just your perception of the bigger picture, like a lot of people, I really think you have to go to a dense place and just experience the poverty, experience that amount of people. And it really changes your way of thinking when you come back. Like, in a way, we've got it really good, but I think we've got so much so much more to go, like, in the way of just growing in terms of just morally and, and politically. I think we've... It's easy to be in that little Perth bubble and, and just forget that... You know, I think we, we don't know how to put certain things into perspective. I think we yeah. like that in Perth. I think for me living in Perth like it's it's been very easy to convince myself to kind of aim low hmm. uh, and that's just because I'm like a wrecking ball of anxieties but also because <laughs> Same it's it's really it like being in the US you realize oh actually there are there are meaningful opportunities that you can seek out you don't just have to like intern and and hope that you can maybe make a tiny amount per month doing some little freelance gig mm. um it's and, and that's kind of why I'm going to Melbourne f- uh for at least the foreseeable future because I, I want. I feel like that's. I thought that was an Australian thing. Like think like the whole cultural cringe thing and the whole like feeling like you're very small, and not that significant. But I think it might be more of a Perth thing. Mm. Um, and it took me like traveling to the precise opposite side of the world to realize that. But it, it's it's very easy to to I think beat yourself down here mm. and and to just to get stuck into bad habits because you because it's kind of limiting. That's definitely what I found. When I travel, like, my sisters live in Melbourne, so I go over there a lot. I just came back from there. But it's weird. When I come back to Perth, all my bad habits just start again. Yeah. I get up late. You know, I just... I drive to the shops. I get fast food because it's just easier. Yeah. Um, Because I'm living alone, obviously. Um, But I find when I come back here, there is that... It is. It's really easy to sink into that hole. Yeah. And then, like a month later, you you come out of it, but you don't realize you've been in a, a bit of a hole. You've just been kind of coasting. Yeah. Yeah. And coasting I, is the big thing. It's so. I feel it's so easy. I've been coasting for like most of my life, which I'm not proud of. Yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm You're still young though. So. Uh, I'm not that young though. I don't. I don't feel that young anymore. <laughs> well, um, you know. You know. You've got a talent. You know what you're doing, and yeah, so that, that you're a step ahead of most people. But I mean, it's a talent that like stopped being relevant about 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, that that's the challenge now is to to find to make it work again. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but it is it is so easy just just to, to be, coast, just to yeah. settle in and coast. And like, I'm I'm the kind of person who was like smart enough to get through school without like putting that much effort in. Mm-hmm. But then like. I didn't realize that that I could have been doing a lot better with my life until I mean not not that it's too late, but like it's taken me a long time to be like, oh, actually, I should probably develop a worth work ethic and you know maybe discipline myself a little bit and not you know start every day with three hours of video games or something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's just so easy here to fall into that. I don't know what, what I think the best way to ground yourself though is to to travel frequently. If you're going to live here, you've got to travel every year i think yeah you've got to get out you of here get to, out, to get some perspective get some perspective get a breath of fresh air yeah and then come back and then try and i guess apply what you've learned into making perth probably a little bit of a better place not, yeah. not that it's bad i'm not trying to shit on perth but you know yeah. there's a lot of things that we're really behind on 
like in the way of media in the way of just thinking outside the box i think it's very restrictive here yeah there's a lot of red tape like even if you want to run a venue or something it's just fucking hard to get started here in perth yeah i mean i i don't i don't quite ascribe to that full i mean some people have that view or like they define themselves against perth like perth mm-hmm. is shit perth is fucked perth is the reason nah, for yeah. my problems yeah. yeah and you know i there are plenty of great things in perth if you look hard enough but i feel like it takes a lot more effort to to get them started and, mm-hmm. and to and to find them um and yes yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I imagine the red tape thing is a problem everywhere. Like, the venue thing is a problem everywhere, though. Mm. Like, there, there are plenty of... I mean, there are venues in, in Melbourne and Sydney and maybe Brisbane as well that have faced closure or threats of closure in the last mm. couple of years. Yeah. But I guess for us, it feels more acute because maybe we have less alternatives. Mm. Community is probably tighter as well, so we know the people affected by it. Directly. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess that is that is the upside, the upshot of that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that a similar sense... I uh, heard a similar thing in Brisbane as well. Um, I've, I haven't been to Brisbane at beyond the airport, but I've, I've heard there is like the very strong music scene because, you know, they're, they're not Sydney, they're not Melbourne. And so there's less of an attitude of like, we're going to make it. You know, there's it's yeah. less careerist and it's more uh, passionate, I guess. And, you know... Mm-hmm. The, the idea of success, however you define that, is it's, it's a lot more self-defined. Um, and I guess the idea of like sustainability or financial success is you're thinking that's like, that'd be a nice thing to have, but it's not what I'm going for. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to make what I want. That's the thing about the whole venue closure thing, because I had a thought, like maybe it's just the fact that things, things that happen are being publicized quicker and a lot more open, openly. So like... Maybe we're just reading more about the occurrence of venues closing. You mean maybe it's been happening at the same frequency for the last while, kind, but we're yeah, just paying kinda. attention now? Yeah, but um, I'm also weary of, of, of subscribing to that whole, you know, the sky is falling type attitude. Right, Because yeah. I don't think it is. Like, I, I am weirdly idealistic and optimistic in that sense, but I don't feel like it's the end. I feel like this is like a transition period into hopefully something better but it's going to suck for a while obviously i mean more specifically the bakery didn't close because of a lack of punters it's much more complex than because that. yeah they're deciding not to renew the lease and i think someone wants exactly, to develop yeah it. so i think people that don't really know why the venues are closing kind of are quick to jump to the gun that okay it's because not enough people were going i don't right, think it's okay. that simple yeah you know um, Flybys was going to close, but now they've moved to another location, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, safe for now. The bakery, according to Marcus, was never really supposed to be around that long, like, uh, according to what I read. Like, it's been around 13 years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not as clear-cut as, okay we're not making money so shut down i don't think it's that but at the same time like if they were making money then that wouldn't they wouldn't be so quick to yeah to seek out like the alternative options like Mm -hmm. you know selling the land to a developer or something yeah um but i i I mean that's i guess that's probably a problem everywhere in the world Mm. because i mean the the kind of music the bakery puts on like the people that like it really like it but it's never going to be uh somewhere like metro city yeah like you're gonna you're gonna you're going to sell out some shows and you're going to get good good attendance but um, I guess also the land there is probably really fucking expensive which is yeah. why it was subsidised yeah that's that's probably what Cause, yeah, was the big prime factor. location yeah mm. but it's also I like the versatility of the bakery yeah because it's not just for shows it's for 
fashion it's for art, art shows it's yeah. for djs it's for people to sell their clothes or whatever yeah so it's a very versatile space and i think that's one of the things that really makes it a little bit harder than just any other venue is the fact that it was a really versatile as a venue yeah for other stuff you know especially for the arts it was a creative space yeah like fate my band we, we feel we filmed a, a video in the in the bread box yeah um and so it was it was really cool and the people they were cool and they kind of respected artists in general it wasn't just about music it was about everything else you know? yeah so i think that's what's really hard about the bakery but oh well, we've got a couple couple more weeks before it goes <laughs> yeah it was i think it's mid-may right mid-may yeah yeah so another maybe month or two yeah yeah but um yeah I don't know. I think it, it was also a good capacity for mid-level touring bands. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's. Uh, I don't know what's going to fill that void, or if we have an alternative. Well, uh, the the minister. I think the last thing I read was that the minister for culture and arts, John Daly, I think is his name, uh, had, had like expressed support following all the pressure that that came from that that Facebook group and the meeting that followed, and they're thinking about um, maybe taking over this former theatre called Recobites Hall. Mm-hmm. which is on William Street somewhere. I'm not pres- not sure of the precise location. But there was talk of, of um, turning that into like a government subsidised or government-backed venue. Mm-hmm. But then that's still going to take a, probably a good year. Um, yeah, to get up and running. And in the and meantime, and yeah. In yeah. the meantime, if you're going like, to go to the effort of bringing an international band like Life is Noise does, then the Rosemans almost your only option in Perth. Because mm. I think the Rosemans like five, 500, 550. And the bakery was pretty yeah. close to that. <coughs> yeah. Then what do you? Either you go up to like somewhere like what Metro Metro City probably costs a shitload to hire. Mm-hmm. Go up to someone like the Astor maybe, but then you have to have a pretty you have to be pretty sure that you're going to make money to bother with that kind of effort. Yeah. Or you just go somewhere small like Mojo's or the Bird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's. It, I I remember it's it's funny like the way it works and I mean I guess like everything it works in cycles and waves. But I remember when I first started being old enough to go to to go to shows when I was eighteen. Like that was when, like, there was still there was always always that complaint of like so many tours would skip Perth, and still so many do. Um, but that was when the bakery was closed as well, I think, for renovations in like two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe I don't know, maybe for a little while we'll see another period of that where like Perth is just left out mm. until we can get our shit together, and it'll be on the, a touring stop for yeah for more, a lot of bands. Yeah, it is. It, it's really upsetting that bands don't come here, but I, I totally understand because yeah. I know how much it costs to go all the way to the other side of the country to not really play to that many people, yeah. and it fucking sucks. Not to so. mention, just like the expenses of getting to Australia to begin with, mm. you're talking like between visas and let's say you've got four people yeah. uh, and flights, that's like almost 10 grand. And most likely a, a crew of sound people and, and techs and stuff. Uh, well. I mean, sometimes. I mean, yeah. if, if you, I mean, for plenty of bands, you, you like that's that's a addition, that's that's an expense that like makes the whole trip unprofitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's having those, yeah, extra people. But um, and that, that's 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 what's so great about going somewhere like the US or Europe at least and seeing music there because uh, you'll see stuff that you know it's it's decent level. It's it's large enough that you'll hear about it but it's not large enough that it could sustainably come to Australia. Mm-hmm. There are some of the best shows I went to uh, were in the US with bands that will likely never come here, or if they will, it won't be for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. In- interesting times. Um, but you're right. A lot, of the, a lot of places over east have 
struggled with the same red tape and, and venues closing as well. Um, but then there's a couple of new places opening as well. I think there's like a new venue in Brisbane that's opening. I can't remember what it's called though. I think I heard about a space in Melbourne. I can't remember the name of this, but it's like it's this huge. It's like a warehouse space, and it's going to be used as I think maybe two venues as mm-hmm. well as a bunch of jam rooms. Yeah. Uh, as well as maybe like a music school or something. Uh, I feel like there's probably a, a more of a... I mean, because of the larger population and the fact that they, they have probably have a larger music community overall, even if it's not as tight-knit, they, they have more opportunities and they probably have more government support or they can put more pressure on the government. Yeah. Whereas I don't think we value arts as much here because it's... No. Partly not. because, you know, it, it's harder to build a culture of arts when it costs so much to actually bring yeah. stuff over here. And, of course, there's always that population the population size as well i think is a big yeah. factor because yeah i mean i mean that that's sort of what dave's ang- angle is 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 to kind of nationalize the venue or or to make it kind of subsidized or funded you mean like the 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 ideal new venue yeah yeah i mean to, to get something this government backed like government like backed, the yeah. bakery was or subsidized yeah. i mean i don't know the precise logistics of that but uh yeah, the Roseman, just having the Roseman isn't enough because it means we're going to get half as many shows. It means that, yeah. like, you know, you try, you, you want to bring a, a band over at a certain time of year and, you know, maybe you've got all the East Coast dates lined up, but, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. we can't come to Perth because there is no venue to put it. Yeah, but, not but, even that, but just because there's less venues, obviously there's going to be more demand from bands to try and book that. So you right, can so only, local shows as well. Exactly. So you can only, like, allocate a certain amount of time for a certain amount of bands before you yeah. just fully booked like four to six months in advance and then it's like you know trying to juggle that between well like where where are you loyal like to touring acts or to local like yeah there's that juggle as well so i guess the other factor i think is that in most east coast or some east coast states at least um you have you have the poker machines which which subsidize costs i guess whereas here a venue makes money from don't really make much, that much money from venue high but money from drink sales mm-hmm. so that that kind of further complicates the whole thing it costs more to get here and venues themselves don't make as much money yeah yeah so it's like a compounded expense yeah um it's all fucked basically no, no, it's not that bad <laughs> no it's not that bad but you, yeah you'd find that the the bands that do come here just can just afford to do so they can afford to take that hit what do you mean like australian or international uh, or international i mean like that um, not, I mean, no, no one wants to take a hit though. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone brings a band to Perth just, just for the, just for the fun of it. Yeah, just for the lols. I don't think anyone does. I mean, except for maybe. I mean, I, I think like maybe festivals did. Like, I remember AJ Matters was. I mean, you can't really trust him that much, but he was saying something about how like he per- has beef per- with everyone. Perth had been <laughs> like like the the East Coast festivals of Soundwave had been subsidising the Perth one, and now he's saying the same thing about Adelaide. They didn't make much money. Yeah. Uh, I guess because if, if if you're if you're making like if you're doing a festival, you want to make it worth the band's while. I maybe want to bring them over to a couple more cities, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone brings a band to Perth just uh, hoping to break even. Yeah, I'm sure it happens though. Maybe, maybe. If, if it's not intended, but I, I've I've been to a few shows that were supposed to be big that oh yeah been, really really didn't sell yeah that I've, much. I've been to some some great shows at the bakery that like on a Sunday night they had like twenty people yeah uh, and as in like international bands because yeah. of because of I don't know poor planning or whatever yeah um but yeah I don't know yeah yeah it's it's a tough one I'm I'm hopefully trying to get um Dave and a couple of people on to the 
podcast to maybe talk about how they feel about the venues and stuff like that. Yeah, right, yeah. Because sure. um, I think we have to get specific. I think we're being yep. a bit general with the thing. Like, a lot of people think... A lot of people just simply don't know why the venues close in the first place, and that's yeah. a good starting point. Well, I feel like people are probably smarter about it now than yeah. they... I feel like people, like, like when, when Life is Noise cancelled, they had to cancel the I Hate God tour because of health issues. Like, I, I feel like it, because now promoters and, and like music business people are able to interface with the public because of social media mm-hmm. like you can explain things a lot more and it's, it's less it's it's a lot more like the response is a lot more measured a lot more reasonable mm-hmm. whereas if you heard about a cancelled tour before you'd be like oh fuck someone someone screwed up i'm mad i don't get to see my band anymore yeah i feel feel like at least the response that i've seen from people on the life is noise facebook is usually pretty understanding yeah if, you, if you're upfront about stuff and if you're not crooked then you, you and you build a good relationship with your audience then mm-hmm. um yes yeah, so and i feel like people and like the kind of people that probably we would see at gigs and the roadman and the bakery are probably people who pay enough attention that like they know they understand the logistics and they understand the complications and and the mm-hmm. hurdles but i guess there are plenty of people as well who who don't know and who just think who who like jump to the assumption of oh not enough people are going to this venue so it's not really worthwhile because yeah. it's not sustainable because capitalism and all that mm. yeah um i do i do really um, enjoy what Life is Noise is doing I like how Dave knows Kind of where he sits In, in You know in, in the way of Bringing acts over like Yeah it's a, You know it's a Life is Noise show When yeah. you see the lineup. You and, just know it And no one else is going to Bring a lot of those bands Exactly Yeah So he's he's Definitely filling that void Yeah that, Um yeah, bringing over the act, acts that wouldn't otherwise come here. Or, it's not, it's or not, no even, it's not even a void because a lot of the time no one was doing it. I mean, there are a couple of promoters mm-hmm. on the East Coast that would do similar kind of stuff, but then they'd be a lot less likely to bring stuff to Perth. Yeah. Yeah. I saw um, Russian Circles at the bakery. Yeah, I and think they did two... I've, I've seen them the three times they've been here now. I think they did two shows there. Yeah. Mm. It was great. Yeah. It's fucking cool. I was amazed at how many people were there, to be honest. Yeah. I was like, wow, where are... Where did you guys come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like they all come out of the woodwork for, for a Life is Noise show. Uh, I guess the Russian Circles are a kind of band that will cross over between like that and then metal people as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely a mixed crowd of, um, yeah, a lot of metal-looking people, but a lot of, you know, people like me. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't really go to that many metal shows, but I guess there probably is a, a, there is a, a community in and of itself there that's probably separated from like the kind of stuff that like honey will go to a fate show or something yeah Mm -hmm. and there's there's certainly crossover with some bands but there's still a a sense of a separation i guess or or maybe cliqueiness to a Mm -hmm. small extent yeah i definitely yeah people always like all the big kind of metal acts are generally from soundworks booking them right yeah um and yeah, I mean they're they're doing kind of the same thing, but obviously for the the whole metal market. And then the other one is like the the hardcore shows and the metalcore shows, mm-hmm. like the and that seems to be a community in and of itself. I don't really have anything to do with that because yeah. I don't like that music. But from what I can tell from like some some people I know on Facebook is like that 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 scene is like alive and well and doing great. And, yeah. and like there there and there are heaps of people going to those shows or going to those nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you just think of how how big a band like Make Them Suffer have gotten. Yeah. in the last I don't know two three years yep um, massive and and also like how how passionate that following is yeah there's a loyalty there with that oh crowd. absolutely yeah it's like they even if you don't know the band if they're playing with someone that you kind of know you'll be at the show 
Yeah. And mainly because the community is so strong. And I remember kind of 2007, 2008, like for me, that's when I really recognized that scene is like blowing up, that hardcore scene. Um, All the HQ shows were massive. Um, Big metalcore scene. Like a lot of kill switch engage and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, unearth. They. they but it's like a ge- it's like an even a generation after that now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I just remember like you wouldn't even have to like ring your friend if they were going. Right. They would just be there. Yeah. Like the whole crew would be there. Um, and they were really passionate about the music, and it's it's really cool. And yeah, you're right. They seem to have kept their place like kind of isolated from everyone they just keep yeah. going in their own way and they still have a healthy following yeah um with way more loyal people that will be there at every show and um, it's really young as well yeah so they're probably they're probably people who are like desperate to go to those shows when they're 16 and can't wait until they're old enough to yeah. actually get into a venue and then once they do they're super loyal to it yeah but they won't drink anyway because they're straight edge no. I, don't, <laughs> no, I don't think that applies very much anymore no, not anymore <laughs> No, I remember that was like all the right, like people with X's on their hands and stuff. Have you heard about that? Oh yeah, I, I know about straight edge, but, yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know of it. It's not requirement anymore. I know. I don't think there are any like straight edge bands in Perth, no. or, or not many at least. And if no, they are, they don't really make a big deal out of it. No, no. But uh, but I do remember like seeing that lurking about yeah. that whole culture, like the whole um, I don't know, throwing down in the pit. Yeah. Throwing fists. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I used to do that. I used to actually go in the pit and... Just start fights. <laughs> basically. Well, not start fights. It was, it was like a weird... There was something really tribal that I identified... I know it sounds cheesy, but like... I, I got it. Like, you yeah. go in, you let your anger out in a controlled way. You're not out there to hurt anyone. Yeah. But if you get hit, then it's kind of your fault. Yeah. I kind of like that. It was like harsh but fair... Um, and I really enjoyed like going in the mosh pit, but I, I don't. I would not do that now because I'd probably break a bone or something. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't done that for a while either. But yeah. I, I can kind of see it. But like, I'm in two minds about it because like when I was at, when I saw a place to very strangers at uh in in New York a couple a month ago or so, um, like a, a pit started and they're they're, they're like a, a sort of a noise rock, sort of a shoegaze band. It's yeah. not necessarily the kind of music you'd expect to to have that kind of physical response, mm-hmm. and like. There was a there was a pit starter, but then you could see a couple of dudes who just looked like they could tell like they were just total cunts, and they were just really, I don't know, I, I like I, I could understand it, but at the same time, I just feel like an old man, be like, look at these, look at these fucking yeah. kids. There's definitely a couple of dudes. Look at these brutes, you know. Yeah, that you know, it's more about the testosterone and, and yeah. stuff. Other than, but I, yeah, I I saw it completely differently. I, I saw it as like a everyone kind of had this weird mutual respect for space. Yeah. At the same time, it was chaotic. So there's something that was cool about that. And I guess there is the MO as well of when, like, when, when people fall over, like, everyone's like, oh shit. And you pick them up. Yeah. Pick them up. So it's not, it's not that, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know, juvenile. Yeah. I just love seeing chicks in the pit as well. Because they would throw down equally as hard. And it's usually the really guys. short girls as well. I yeah. Find. They were, the, <laughs> like, it does look lame from the outside when you look at hardcore dancing. Yeah. Like, I can kind of appreciate yeah. it at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when people do it well. Yeah. Like, some of the some of the dudes were legit doing backflips. Right, Like, yeah. backflipping and spin kicking and shit. Yeah. 
And it, you can tell they, they obviously did some sort of martial art or something. Isn't it weird to, to, to think of how, like, just security <laughs> at music shows, at, at gigs is, and festivals has changed? Yeah. Think, think, think about how much has changed in the last 20, 25 years. I yeah. always remember, I don't know why I always remember this. Like, when I, I, when I was, like, 15, I used to listen to Pantera a lot more, and I, I remember, like, watching a a DVD that came with one of the albums and just seeing people like climbing up on the stage and diving off of the stage yeah. and that was just normal but uh, I mean how many times are you going to see that now without it's like security just mobbing someone mm. like just just I, 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 I would have to speak to someone like in their 40s or 50s to really to really get perspective on that but like how much the gig going experience has changed in the last two decades mm. is probably quite significant because of you know fear of litigation or yeah. safety issues and also for bands themselves like things like you know when Dimebag Daryl got shot on stage that mm. probably uh, had like a shockwave effect throughout uh, the music industry and, and, and the way that people feel safe on stage mm. yeah definitely um even though it was more chaotic in the old times like it was still controlled like people still knew when enough was enough like yeah it was a maybe. weird i don't know but now i feel like that's kind of lo- well i don't know because i'm the same now like i look at people moshing now and I, i'm just i turn into an old cunt and i'm just yeah like, Ugh get away from me but like just just think of like just stage diving i feel like it used to be a much normal thing from what i've seen in videos from like 20 yeah. years ago and how like that so rarely happens now unless it's a unless it's a small venue maybe it maybe it's a local band maybe mm-hmm. it's a hardcore band maybe maybe it depends on the genre yeah but um like it i don't know i feel like you're a lot more likely to see security swamp someone mm-hmm. now than they would have a decade ago or more yeah um i think i was i can't remember who i was seeing uh, probably hate breed at Capital like a long time ago and I could see there was a massive pit happening but I could see the security guards you know um, looking at the fight and I could see the head security guard like briefing the other like the new people yeah and I could see him going like look it's gonna look like a fight but it's not really a fight so don't jump in and try and pull everyone off or yeah. anything and <laughs> The new guys are just looking at the pit like, what is this? Yeah. Like, it looks like they're they're all literally fighting. It was like a circle pit. Yeah. And he's like, uh, at what point do we jump jump in? Yeah. Like, they were just confused. And <laughs> you can imagine from, like, their point of view how, how bizarre that would look. Yeah, especially if you don't know anything circle. about that music, if you just listen yeah. to, I don't know. exactly. Like, Lamb of God used to do this wall of death. Have you heard of that? Yeah. They split, like, people left yeah, and yeah. right, and then they all run into each other during the breakdown. I'm just amazed that they can get away with that shit. I always remember the, f- the first show I went to when I was 13, which was it was a perfect circle in 2004 at... Robinson Pavilion? Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And do you remember the guy who climbed the... I was with it with Jeremy. Yeah. That's... I was probably with it with your brother. Yeah. That's I, weird. I, rem- I remember getting searched going in there, which yeah. is something like, like getting patted down. Not, not something that never happened before. I remember he like he had a bong and he, he wanted to smoke, but he saw the people getting searched, so he like went to the bathroom and and got high and then like buried it somewhere. <laughs> and then and yeah, and then uh, there was meant to be everyone like we waited for ages because we thought there was going to be support band, and that's when I first heard the, the name Carnival. I didn't know who they were before because I was thirteen. Yeah, like, and they got canned. I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if they're ever meant to be there. But I mean, this is 2003, so you wouldn't. There was no social. There was no maybe MySpace, but that wouldn't have told you much. Like, how how people have. That's right. That's weird. Okay, yeah, I do remember Carnival were rumored to support. All I remember is hearing people. I was 13, so I wasn't really. Mm. I wasn't really talking to people about the show before much, aside from like my my friends in Year Nine. Yeah, but. 
I, I just remember overhearing people like around me saying like, oh, you know, a carnival playing? Yeah. Because there was a long wait. But the reason I brought that up is because I remember this this guy, I think he had an afro, like just somewhere maybe early or mid-perfect circle set, just started like climbing the pole, yeah. the pillar in the middle. And, and then like, everyone started chanting, get the fuck down. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. Maynard started leading a get the fuck down chant. Like he, he, he climbed like two, he climbed the rafters as well, like, ups, like, like, a, like a monkey, like upside down. Yeah. And I think it was like over the stage at one point. And then I remember he must have like he was there for a good hour or so. Yeah, like half the set he was just sitting up there, and like they couldn't really do anything, so they just had to keep playing. <laughs> and yeah, it's weird. Like, how would you begin to try and get him down? Like, you're not going to climb up there with him and then try and yeah, that's so fucking dangerous. And I just remember like at the end of the show, uh, this this circle of maybe like eight security guards just surrounding this pole, just waiting for this guy to get down. Yeah, I'm really curious as to what happened now. I want to find some more people <laughs> who like stuck around at that show. I do remember Maynard being like visibly. Well, he's he's always kind of pissed off anyway, but, like, he threw the mic down and, and left at the end of the set. I don't know if that was, like, if I'm reading too much into it, but I, I do remember, like, <laughs> at one stage, like, the, the focal point was that douchebag on the oh, right, yeah, and everyone was just looking at him yeah. throughout the set. Yeah. And, like, you know, signing chants, and Maynard was like, I think it was like, never, ever put ecstasy, ecstasy up your ass. Up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe you remember yeah. that. That is what that's that's eleven. That's eleven years ago now. I know. As of like last month. Oh, that's weird. Oh man. Ah, oh, yeah. Perth crowds, man. I don't know. I, I that was for me like, like the most I've ever been like crushed was at that gig. Right. Strangely, and I've been to a lot of gigs, a lot of heavy gigs, but strangely, that Robinson's. Oh man, it turned into like a sauna. It was like a boiler room. For me, it was... Um, so hot. For me, it was Big Day Out. First Big Day Out I went to, which was 2007, which is when Tool and Muse headlined. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that D-barricade system was so stupid. Um, where, like, they have, like... It's like a pig pen. And, like, they have, like, a, a red light to indicate, no, you can't come in. Mm-hmm. And then once enough people leave after, like, it's one of the main, main, main stage acts finishes their set, people flood in. But, like, they... They didn't set the light off at the right <clears throat> sorry at the right time, mm-hmm. and there was just this huge crushage going on. People like who couldn't quite get through, and like like security were having to pull like, all, these, all these girls out and like let them into the main area. Yeah. And it was it was madness. You couldn't get out of there. And like I remember, Jet were playing. They were the third. They were like the third last headliner, a third headliner on the main yeah. stage. And like no one gave a fuck as well. Of course not. Play. No. <laughs> well, and people did actually, uh, which is I mean, which is a sad state of which is a sad commentary on what what. <laughs> what yeah. people were into then um, <laughs> but that's going to happen uh, but I remember the promoters I think it was the promoters Lees and West whoever it is they, they like came out mid-set and they're like hey everyone please stop crushing each other uh, but that was fuck. that was like I was that was my first festival and I, for a good hour I was like really struggling to breathe there yeah it was just like it's actually <laughs> shockingly dangerous yeah if you if you fall over or get trampled like you you very well could die but you weren't even moving like it was just you were just this is wall to wall (laughs) humanity Mm. flesh I think my friend uh, that does the podcast with me he's not here he lives in Melbourne now his his name's Johnny but he was working at the Muse concert when the the front barricade collapsed was that like a sideshow of that Uh, that I think so it was like the Dirty Secrets that that old Perth band and uh, Muse and uh, the literally the, the front barrier collapsed fuck and so they had to like push people back 
while trying to lift it back up and screw it back in. Wow. And as they were doing it, they were getting spat at. Like, the crowd was, like, abusing the, te- the te- technician. At a muse show. At a muse show, yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Like, he, yeah, people were, like, throwing shit and booing at the fact that, you know, the barricade fell over. And they're, they're trying to rectify the problem and they're getting shit for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Perth audiences, man. Yeah. Yeah. They're either not enthusiastic enough or, far, yeah. or like violently enthusiastic. Do you know a band called uh, Opeth? Yeah. Do you remember when someone threw a shoe at the singer? I think that was at Capitol. Oh, okay, I, I, I remember. I don't, I don't know. They have come to Perth recently. When <laughs> no, was they this? have. Oh, this is uh, for more than probably like 10 years ago. Okay. But uh, someone literally picked up their shoe and threw it at the singer. Did it hit? I don't, I'm not sure if it hit him, but it, 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 he was just like, so taken back by it he was like um okay do you mind not throwing shoes at me yeah uh only in Perth oh that's hilarious. not only in Perth that's everywhere though it's everywhere but I, I, I feel like I can I have license to say that because oh, okay. it always happens <laughs> do you have to just get like at least one of those into each episode yeah. only in Perth only in Perth yeah uh I the, yeah I should stop saying that because that's I don't know it's quite dismissive I always I always say that you know, oh, bad driving only in Perth, but really, it's fucking it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's just magnified because you live here. I think in Perth, people also just like to complain about Perth stuff as if it's exactly. an isolated problem. It becomes like an, a, a pastime. It's yeah, like just ripping on. That's because we're we're very we're very insular here. <laughs> it's very easy to forget that there is a large world out there. Yeah, the most isolated city in the world. I'm yeah. so sick of that phrase, but it's kind of true. I, I don't know if it's actually. I've heard that it's not actually true. Like I, I do get what it's trying to say. Mm. Uh, it's capital city, by the way, not city, because because I think isolated city, most isolated city would have to be like somewhere in like an island nation. True, but I think Hawaii might actually be further away from another right. capital city than than uh, Perth is. Yeah, and that's probably well, no, sorry, no, not, not Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii is the state. Uh, Honolulu, I guess, is Honolulu. the capital. Okay, right, yeah. Because it's a fucking island, so... Yeah, and then we If you need something that's not on the island, then yeah. you're pretty much fucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bizarre. Um, wow. That went on for a while. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> uh, we'll take a break, and we'll, we'll be back. Sure. For a while. Yeah. You're listening to... Mission Control. Oh, yeah. So what have you got re- uh, planned for the rest of the year? Oh, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure my life out, I guess. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm going to be working for a little while and just keep writing. Um, yeah. I'm actually... Uh, this is a long shot, but do you know there's, there's a, a book series called 33 and a Third? Um, yeah. It's a series of books been going for about 10 years and essentially just books on single albums. It's by this group, I think, Bloomsbury Publishing is a publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done about 100 of them now. Um They've done like uh, I'm trying to think the ones I've read like David Bowie's Low, Radiohead's OK Computer. There's one on Celine, uh, Celine Dion album. There's Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures. There's heaps of Celine Dion, really. Yeah, that one's apparently meant to be really good because it's a it, it like it's a jumping point. Apparently, all the books are really different. It's not just like here's a track by track rundown and here are some interviews. Mm-hmm. They all take very different approaches. There's a there's a one on Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine, which is apparently really bad because like the interviewer just went and spoke to. Uh, Nine Inch Nails fans from around America and was like, how did this album affect you? And just did a chapter on each, which right. is a weird approach. But the Celine Dion one apparently uh, is is from a, the, the guy who wrote it, like hated Celine Dion and then he kind of learned to love her. And it's about, it's a, it's a, it's a book about 
taste about about how our tastes evolve and and, and how tastes interact with our, our identity and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I really like to do one. Uh, they've got an open pitch session coming up in the middle of the year, and um, I'm trying to think of what would be a great album to do. My favorite album is probably my favorite album now is uh, by a band called Failure, a space rock band that were around in the '90s and broke up in '97. They did this amazing album called Fantastic Planet. It was like half sort of grungy, half space rocky. Um, and I discovered them because the Perfect Circle song on their second album, Thirteenth Step, "The Nurse Who Loved Me," mm-hmm. is a Failure cover. Um, really? Yeah. And I thought that was just. I, I remember that song. Yeah, it's like a cappella with some. Yeah, and 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 the original is is like not at all like that. It's it's all big guitars and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I discovered them that way, like, got almost ten years ago now, and like bought everything they had and like just ate it up I, I love that mix of like sort of weird almost noise rock stuff because they worked with Steve Albini early in their career mixed with space rock mm-hmm. and they just reunited and I actually saw them when I was in the US which is like a band I never thought I'd get to see live and hopefully they'll come here again later this year but I'm thinking of um trying to trying to get a book deal for that which is a long shot because I haven't like published a, a huge amount of stuff that can really get that attention necessarily mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and swing that and see and that might be the best album to do or it might be better to do something maybe something Australian so I don't have to like fly somewhere to interview someone yeah, yeah. Um, but that and just keep writing and maybe work on I don't know launching something new I think you and I have spoken before about the idea of like a, a publication I just feel like that the publications in Australia the music publications and partly because of like the limited the limited size of the scene they're not really servicing everything they could be most of the stuff I read is, Ameri- is American um, and I just feel like Australian publications don't really take um, musicians as seriously as they could mm-hmm. maybe because this is the thing we're talking about before just like a like a like a, I don't know, a tall poppy kind of thing. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people are afraid to legitimize. Yeah, people like and to actually uh, go a little bit deeper rather than just the surface of where are you playing and what, yeah. what have you got coming out? What are you promoting and what video do you have coming out? And p- uh, part of it's like just the the fact that uh, Australian publications aren't. I mean, Australian. I mean, it's not really smart to start a magazine in 2015 or even a website necessarily. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess like what you have, you have street press, you have stuff like Triple J Mag, you have a few websites like Mess and Noise. Mess and Noise are pretty good, but I've, I, I, I think maybe it's financial constraints. But they, they, I'd like to see like that kind of thing on a much larger scale. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've been toying with ideas for a while about how to put something together like that. Yeah, um, it's definitely there. Like it, I think if if you were to uh, just do it, I think there'd be. Well, that's. I guess that's the optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, if you were think, to just do it, it'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, just do it, and everything will work out. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a space to to experiment with that. Yeah, I, I hope think so. Definitely, and and now is a better time than any time. I think to try something a bit different that maybe explores the mindset of, of the, the musician a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and then that's kind of the reason why I started this podcast was because I just wanted, like, band people talking to band people and not even... If you're not in a band, if you're somewhere in the industry, it's still relevant. Yeah. Um, but just getting people talking without any formalities or barriers and stuff like that where just, you know, just be honest about the process and... I think that's how you learn is from genuine 
honesty is it, that that's how um you kind of find your way around things is listening to people that are just real about things you know yeah and the, they're, they're not trying to put up a front or sugarcoat anything or be too pc about it you know just um if it's hard just say it's hard and you know i think i think people can i can relate to that a lot more yeah you know instead of like um the superficial what are you promoting this year yeah and then that's it that's as far as it goes that's that's where the conversation stops is if you don't have anything to promote then why am i interviewing you you know yeah, yeah. and it's like I, I often i don't necessarily look for people on the podcast that are necessarily active i think they, they just have certain things to say and, and ideas to share and i think that's way more valuable than just promoting your latest dp or whatever yeah know? sure yeah and i mean the main avenues for that like like street press the, the kind of thing that most people are going to read are pretty limited like i i wrote uh did an interview with the the guitarist for 65 days of static and i spoke to him for like 50 minutes mm-hmm. and i wrote 600 words which was maybe like three minutes of a conversation and i understand like, obviously when you're working in print or, or even um online like there's a limit to how much people are going to read yeah but there's but i mean this, uh this kind of avenue like this a podcast is kind of the only way that you can i guess make a long con- conversation digestible yeah mm-hmm. without like because i feel like it's a lot easier to listen to this than to read this yeah yeah um i mean yeah, i like the fact that you know it it is what it is as well with a podcast like sometimes some of them are boring you know but it's not this one though hopefully (laughs) hopefully not this one but at the end of the day it's it's it was real at the time you know like a like a jam session or something it's it it doesn't have to be polished it doesn't have to be served up on a silver platter you know you, you you have to keep it on and uh find your own gems within you know, find your own little juicy bits within. Yeah, like whatever is relevant to you is different for everyone. So, other people might find certain sections interesting over other sections. So, I like that. You know. Yeah. And I like that it is what it is, and I don't censor anything, and we just kind of put it out as as content. I think that's I think that's the way things are headed. People want that transparency. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, awesome. So. Uh, you're hopefully not going to move to Melbourne too soon because uh, I feel your skills are needed here uh, kind of soon <laughs> maybe like middle of the year middle of the year yeah okay are you going to try search for kind of the same thing over there uh, I work mean, for a publication or something yeah I mean not really same thing because there isn't really that thing much here mm-hmm. um, yeah. I'm, yeah I'm going to try and find some something kind of writerly I guess because that's yeah. the only skill I really have mm-hmm. but it's a skill that stopped being profitable you know about a decade ago if not yeah. more <laughs> but <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've, I, I've read your reviews and I like I and I'm not just saying this because you're in front of me <laughs> but I do like the way you write I do like your language choice and your word choice and I, I do think you're there's something that isn't very clinical about the way you write Hmm. Um, that's what I found anyway. Like you, you can express how things feel to you, as opposed to trying, you know, trying to to be, I guess, uh, neutral and just say what things are. I think there's an element of yourself in your writing, which I think is really cool. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, I'd, I'd love to have done this kind of thing in Perth um, and Spaceship News at one point which I used to edit was going to become that and now it's I don't know what, what the state of that is now okay. but that, that didn't really work out the way I wanted it to um, 
but uh, just to talk about the publication, I was, I was talking about like maybe launching something at some point. I'd, I'd like to a, a conversation I've had with uh, a few people, a few musicians, but the one I remember mostly is Alex Wilson, who's the bassist from Sleep Makes Waves, a, a post rock band from Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, Great thing is that. Uh, there's this there's this sense of Australian bands uh, are not really taken seriously unless they've gone overseas and actually proved themselves, mm-hmm. and that goes back to a lot of cultural factors here of the fact that like so much of our culture and identity is informed by British and American culture. Yeah, um, we is it's the the trickle down effect we kind of get. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and we're we're such we have we're such a mishmash of things. We uh, we came into existence as a country at a time that didn't really that made it harder to form a, a cultural tradition. That by the time you know globalization came around and and uh, you know in the last twenty years we've we're, we're so much more informed by American culture. I feel like than than mm-hmm. you know when I was born. Um, and I just think I, I always say this to I say this to some American people, American friends of mine. They're like, it's it's funny to me to think that we have to actually legislate that. Uh, channels like the abc or like but public broadcasters have to actually have a minimum amount of australian content they have to play hmm. the, like the fact that we have like think of think of how how much america is in love with itself i guess if america is different because it's so large but like they, they never have to legislate how much american stuff they're going to actually produce or air or broadcast mm, yeah um they 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 create they, yeah it, it starts with them they're, yeah. they're almost like the tastemakers for everything from comedy to like TV shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Talk shows, definitely the the whole talk, the, the late night talk show yeah, that culture of, you know, Jimmy Fallon, David Letterman, Conan and all those people. Like, I think a lot of our humor even is, is, is informed by America. that. Sure, yeah. 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 Um, but I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to start kind of conversations around music that, that kind of treat Australian musicians as seriously as mm. the US publications I read yeah. stuff and the UK ones stuff like The Quietus yeah. and on a more general level like the AV Club um, the way they talk about art with artists yeah. so I feel like maybe maybe just because of the fact that it's not as sustainable here or that we just don't have the right avenues that those conversations aren't really happening that much or if they are happening they're happening in like a more sort of highbrow for lack of a better word place like the monthly or a publication like that that not really that many people at least of our age or our generation are, are engaged in yeah i just feel like there's a lot there's a lot more that people i feel like we could just treat we could we could start treating our artists a lot more seriously and maybe we'd all be that have a ripple down a ripple effect of take everyone taking it a little more seriously mm. maybe then we can all make some fucking money which would be nice <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I also get the vibe from uh perth musicians and australian musicians in general like they they're afraid to they feel a bit shy to legitimize what they do yeah, well, that that comes through this whole attitude of like, where we're not really as a culture encouraged to advocate for ourselves as much as American culture mm. is. Like American culture is very extroverted. It's like everyone everyone talks about themselves. There's this really interesting note actually. When I was uh, with the guys in Doctor Post, this is something that they brought up a lot in the US. That they found that when they would speak to people, like one of the guys who was driving the band around, his, his name he's from Perth. His name is Benny Hayes, and he's a photographer and a teacher. He, he, he surfs a lot, and he said that he would go into these surf shops in in New York and start talking to these guys about surfing and asking like what, where they go, what kind of boards they um they ride ride surf is ride the word surface use <laughs> i don't know but but the the, the, um, the american americans would like they talk about themselves an awful lot and then there'd just be a pause they wouldn't ask like what about you how about you and so i feel like there's this 
tendency in like American discourse and culture where you you have to advocate yourself and you have to talk about yourself. You don't necessarily wait for that encouragement. Mm-hmm. Whereas, for, at least for me, and maybe this is more general Australian thing. Maybe it's more acute with me, where where there's a, this goes back to the tall poppy syndrome, but also just like you don't really want to be perceived as a wanker or too up yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a feeling like if you advocate for yourself too much then, you know, people are going to be saying to you, Who's, why does this guy take himself so seriously? Who does he think he is? Yeah. Whereas in America, you almost have to do that to stand out from the pack. And, yeah. and because for whatever reason, that's the way their culture has developed. Yeah. It's, very, yeah. it's so much more individualistic. And, and I, I guess it's probably the, the whole cutthroat competition type thing. How? Yeah. I mean, like everyone I spoke to in LA that was an actor or a musician, they talk to you like they're giving you an elevator pitch. Yeah. All the time. Like, even if you didn't even ask for it, you're, yep. like, just hanging out, like, at the pub or whatever, and you bump it, like, I bumped into this chick, and, like, she started rattling, like, dropping names right from the get-go, and I guess it's that whole culture of networking, like, you don't know who you're talking to, and I guess, probably in the back of her mind, she probably hoped that I was somebody, which yeah. I'm really not, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, everything felt like they were giving you a spiel about as quickly and efficiently as possible of, of, of who they are, what they're here to do, uh, where they're from, and what their talent is. Yeah. Like, just all summed up in a couple of minutes. It's so much It's so much more performative, whereas mm. I feel like in Australia, maybe this is the case in the UK as well, we don't really have that sense. We're, we're, we're trying to be a lot more sincere. And humble. And, 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 yeah. we're worried, and we're worried that if we seem too performative or seem like we take ourselves too seriously, that people are going to write us off. Yeah. So, so it works in both ways. Like on one hand, like some Americans like that are just absolutely fucking insufferable. <laughs> but on the other hand, it, it, it builds a culture of confidence. Yeah. Which is not really something we have as much. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's the vibe I get when I have, you know, certain musicians on this podcast. And I would talk to them. Well, I'm not, I'm not pandering to them, but like I would talk like you're a professional. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, um, and they sometimes get taken back like oh why does my opinion matter almost yeah and i'm like it's okay just say what you feel yeah just say what you feel don't be afraid about people disagreeing like and i i try to legitimize that and like you know it's worth something you're in the industry we're all in the same boat in some way shape or form whether we're a writer or uh, you know trying to act or, or playing music like we're kind of in the same boat so yeah. it's okay to speak up and just say what you think is great and say what you think is also that, that could use some change like yeah. and i think a lot of people surprisingly have a lot to say but they've never been given that platform where it's like i'm listening to you right now what do you feel needs to be changed and like that, that's that's the whole goal for me on the podcast is to try and really fish that out of people like you know everyone has some stance on something but they're just never given that opportunity where okay people are listening what do you think <laughs> you know like and I think like for a lot of people like, like they just they get taken back by that they're like yeah. I don't know how to react like oh shit they, they, they often like smile as they're talking about what they how they feel and it, it I like that I enjoy, I enjoy that like I enjoy seeing people open up and you know yeah I think it, no one's opinion is valued over another person's really like it's just it's how you feel at the time I think that's valuable. I think that's. I hope to see that more in publications, like yeah. just people, like people in the same boat, just talking about what's great, their experience. I think experience is definitely a valuable thing to learn from, and you know, just times where it wasn't that great, and 
I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. And hopefully you'll <laughs> come up with something. I, I, I have a feeling that you'll crack something soon, whether I it's with me so. or whether, whether it's not with me. Either way. Um, what, what was your vision for, for Spaceship? Was that... If you want to talk about it, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, uh, I mean, kind of just... Uh, that was the idea you had to open that sort of conversation up a little bit more. Yeah, and I mean, I, I didn't really, I, I got, I didn't really transfer from like the ideas phase to the logistics phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to to have it be a platform that was doing something that um, something that was very Perth focused and and like rapidly enthusiastic about Perth stuff, um, and, and and like really celebratory of it that, that expressed and the music because of. Uh, I guess the fact that they mostly operate in print, like that's their focus. The fact that there's something that they couldn't do there. Um, so just like having having conversations at, at at the depth that that we're trying to have a conversation now, um, and and kind of just treating basically treating local musicians the way that we treat international touring musicians, and mm-hmm. a- and asking them the same kinds of questions within reason, because obviously like they're, they're not as experienced yeah. as musicians, and they're not as media savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still is valuable. Yeah, but yeah, just, just yeah. trying to trying to elevate them, and and it's just something as simple as like regular features, like just talking to musicians, just personalizing them, like like talking to people about what their what their favorite shows were, what their first shows were, like mm-hmm. like their little little bits on on like their the gear they use, their favorite albums, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just just evangelizing, basically. Yeah, which which is something that. And I mean, it doesn't come naturally to me to let be that celebratory. And that's part of just the Australian culture that I grew up in. But that that sort of being really, just being really proud and, and trying to elevate stuff. Mm. And also trying to bring, I mean, I don't know how to go about doing this, but like, I feel like this is a pretty small and insular scene. Like it's, I like it, but it's, it's, it doesn't really extend that far to that it's many people. Niche. Yeah, and like, if there was, if there was a way to, to somehow broaden that, to bring more people into that, I don't know what that is, but if someone figures it out, then that would be incredibly useful for mm. everyone. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny, like a lot of musicians or creative people are actually quite funny and intelligent. <laughs> That's what I found anyway. And so I think that I think having humor on the podcast and and I think that that comes about by being real about things like because it is funny like when bad shit happens it's it's funny right and I think uh, that's that's an angle that you can take for the the broader public is just having real stories where things didn't go quite as planned or things went amazingly yeah and kind of using that as a vehicle for inspiration for people to listen to I think everyone can relate to that no matter what they're doing even if it's creative or not like you can still relate to to, to what we, we talk about at least yeah yeah and just that whole idea of forming that community of, of people talking to each other I think yeah. that can really strengthen that bond um, between people so I think for the next podcast, I want to try and get people that book venues to talk yeah. to, to people that play them, so bands, you know. And I think that whole conversation should be opened up, I think. Because I think um, it, it's kind of separate. Like, uh, a lot of bands just don't know what venues are looking for or why venues go away and come back. Um, it's something that I hope to learn more about myself. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, obviously not as easy as not as simple as you know no money coming in or whatever like that um so yeah and just knowing what it what it takes to to run a venue i think it's it's very underrated i think people don't know 
the amount of effort it takes to to actually get a venue up and running, paying for licensing, mm-hmm. paying for security, paying for staff, all that stuff is something that I would like to learn more about. So, um, yeah, um, I think this podcast is just it's therapy for me first and foremost. Yeah, but I think it's a bit selfish, Daryl. <laughs> it, it, but um. Ultimately, I hope I want to. I want to put other people on the pedestal, not me. Yeah, it's 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 people that are walking the walk out there and struggling and or, or doing great. And I want to hear what their experience is. So, um, hopefully, you keep keep at that idea. Yeah, I'll keep I, it, keep it growing. I, I will be keeping an eye on it. Sure. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, you're definitely one of the more talented people out there in terms of writing. Um, how how is life is not how, how how many articles do you write? Uh, it really varies. I'm, I've started a new. I've started a new. Uh, a, couple, a couple of people have dropped out in the last couple of weeks. Okay. Um, I try to publish. I'm going to try to publish like two, three things a week at least, and I'm trying to do some other freelance stuff elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 kind of just like an experimental ground for me right now. Like I'm I'm trying to figure out what works because being being the publishing arm of a promoter, there are certain limitations. Um, but. You know, it's there's it's still there's great stuff to write about. I like one of the one of the guys who writes there, the Black Captain, who also hosts um Behind the Mirror on RTI. He's a fucking great writer and cool. writes about a lot of really interesting, uh, like uh, experimental metal, black metal, cool doom, mm-hmm. the the heavy serious business. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to the fifth anniversary as well for Life. Yeah, man, it's gonna be killer. Yeah. So that's at the bakery on April second. So. That's like a long weekend, right? Yeah, that's this, I think that's that's Easter Thursday. So the Probably. next day will be a public holiday. The Good Friday, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, right. That makes sense. <laughs> and then who else is that? That's that's you guys. That's Mount Mountain, uh, Puck Khan, fucking awesome Khan, uh, Drowning Horse. Yeah, that's who right. I love as well. I've never gotten. I've never had an opportunity to see them live. Really? Oh man, it's it it hurts. It hurts in in a, in a great way. And like um, sometimes I haven't liked it, but sometimes it's really fucking good. I think when they opened for Neurosis, that was that was one of the best shows I've ever been to. Actually, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was just visceral. Mm. The only thing I've seen is like a a a YouTube bit of them playing it in the parts. Bring. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I didn't see them there, but like I can't. That's that's a really weird environment for a band like that yeah definitely yeah. bring some earplugs because you'll be wrecked yeah. <laughs> so that's going to be great and it's, it's going to be one of the the unfortunately one of the last shows that the bakery will have i think there's going to be like a string of gigs before it officially shuts down yeah I'm, i thought what i heard was like early may yeah thereabouts so, so um, we've got what is it now right, so we've got a couple of months really yeah kind of like one full month and a little bit maybe um, basically like two months but yeah it's going to be sad seeing that place go yeah I've had a lot of memories there um, and they've all, always been open to, to new bands playing there mm. I think uh, I played in the band ages ago and I talked to Amber who was booking Amber Hassler who was booking the, the bakery at the time and uh, this is like during the first kind of art rage festivals that they used to have this is like the mid 2000s then uh, yes yeah, yeah. And uh, they were just so cool to to deal with, and I think they really they really know how to work with artists as well. They know what their space is for. They know their place. I think. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's gonna be 
sad but we're also playing in the pines my band fate yeah um that's gonna be my first in the pines that i've been to um so i'm glad to be playing that um i haven't been there before have you been to any in the pines before yeah yeah I've is been to I've been to a couple. What's yeah. the space like? Is it is it's it Somerville? Uh, it's, 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 it's yeah, it's like UWA. the gardens at UWA that they use for the the films at um, PF as well. Okay, how dark dark does it get there at night? Uh, Do they still have a lot of ambient light and like a little bit, but not much? Not are you, much? you guys going to use strobes or something? Uh, Do you know when you're playing? We are playing late. Ooh. I'll just say late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think just before Abby May. Oh okay. Yeah. So you're you're quite high up there. Uh, eight o'clock. Yeah. F- fancy fancy boys and girls. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Just after Methyl Ethel, who, oh, okay. who are great. I love those guys. Yeah, as they're well. great. And congrats on their their signing to Dot Dash. That's right. That's, that just yeah. happened, didn't it? Yeah. And also, and they're touring with San Francisco, right? I, I think I think th- they're they're touring nationally with with someone. I'm pretty mm, sure it's them. I think so. I think uh, yeah, San Francisco playing like Frio Arts Center. But they're touring nationally. Yeah, but they tour- yeah, it's part of the, the whole national yeah. tour. Yeah. So that's gonna be great. So, um, but yeah, that'll be my first in the pines. Hopefully, it'll go well. I heard I've heard nothing but good things about in the pines. Can't believe you haven't been to one. You're no such I, an amateur. I know. Your first one is one you're playing. It's that's almost that's rude. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like a slap in the face. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why. I th- I've always had something on, or I've just not been here during yeah. the, that weekend. But uh, yeah, I'm stoked to be playing my first one. Um, but yeah. It was great talking to you. And also you. Yeah. Um, hopefully you get over the jet lag and all that stuff. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> it takes a while. How you feel? Like, are you still struggling to get back to sleep at a normal time? Uh, yeah, I don't know. My body's weird. Yeah. And also, I'm just like eating horribly now. Yeah, same here. I, that's another thing. When I come back here, it's like my diet just goes out the window, I think. Yep. Especially living out in suburbia, you're surrounded by so much fast food. Yep. But it's like okay, I can cook for like an hour, and have too many leftovers, and probably pay the same amount of yeah. money, or I could just go quickly get some KFC, which is <laughs> fucking horrendous. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, you were going to ride here, but you didn't. No, yeah, my my bike's wrecked. Are you? Are, are you? I think ex- exercise helps jet lag a lot. Apparently. You seem to have a lot of theories about what helps jet lag. Yeah, walking, um, walking like, barefoot on grass. Apparently, like when you burn yourself out, you know, when you're tired, then you have a better sleep and you can yeah, train right. yourself to, to go to bed at a certain yeah, time. Maybe. But obviously, it's easier said than done. So I should focus more on my own sleeping pattern. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Doctor Doctor Daryl. Doctor Daryl. I love how I have like such strong opinions about shit that I have no idea. About. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much your podcast. You should be on talk radio. <laughs> yeah. um, but thanks for coming on, man. No worries, man. Thanks Hopefully for having I'll, me. Hopefully, I'll, I'll see you at a gig coming up. I'm sure you'll be like either reviewing or just. I'll be. Being I'll be around. Yeah, yeah. And def- uh, I, I hope you. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people make the move to Melbourne, and I, I get quite sad. But you know what? I see myself doing that within the next couple of years, anyway. Yeah. So. I guess I'm a bit of a hypocrite. It's like a it's like a rite of passage for for creatively inclined Perth people. Yeah, yep, yep. But which I mean, Perth people who make bad career choices. <laughs> yeah. In my case, I just always I can't help but feel a bit sad when someone moves to Melbourne. But um, it's like everyone like abandoning the ship. Yeah. Like, what you gotta, are you, you doing? Gotta, you got to get out of here for a little while, at least. You do, you do. Yeah, and you're still young, so ish. Youngish. I mean, you have plenty of 
Man, I don't think it ever ends. I think when you hit your 30s, you'll go through the same shit that you did, but Probably. just on a different level yep. of, of stress. So, yep. yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks. for coming. Peace. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Godspeed.